This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. This week on The Green Box, uh, we are joined by none other than Director Crow himself, Mr. Mike, of The Courtesy Flush. Hello. Welcome to The Green Box. Hell yeah. I think there's a bit of delay on Discord, so if I accidentally start talking over everybody, it's because I am rude. So that's that's the answer we to that question. We talk over each other all the time. We do not and do I f- that. You do a hell of a good job editing, because I listen to that podcast, and I'm like, nobody. T- everyone's like real polite, nobody talks over each other. Like, damn. Yeah, we actually talk over each other, and I just move them around in post. We're, we're mm. about to really ruin the mystique for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. No, you didn't ruin any kind of mistake for me. I figured there was some editing fuckery going on. Some, some editing magic, yeah. yeah. So... I bet a couple of our listeners might recognize you, Mike, but for the rest, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Crow, and I, I run the Courtesy Flush with my friends. It's a stream place where we play video games mostly and talk to each other. It's kind of inane when I really kind of describe it, but we just kind of hang out. We don't really do anything crazy. We don't sell anything. We're not trying to be big whatevers. We're just kind of hanging out on Jeff Bezos' platform on Twitch and uh, whoever owns YouTube now. Um, that's that's kind of what we do. And I, I also am an editor uh, and you know a self-made filmmaker. I, I wouldn't say I've got the title of it, but I've definitely done quite a few things in the past. So there's that, I guess, if you guys really wanted to know that. Well, there are some filmmakers with a title that I don't think deserve it. So, I mean, take it as you will. Hey, man, I made that list a long time ago, so it's all good. I'm happy down here on the bottom. So about a year ago, Mike, actually it was a little over a year ago, I guess now, uh, you you ran and live streamed a, a Star Trek campaign. Uh, which I will put the link in the description of the episode. I am given to understand that this was your first time on this side of the GM screen. Well, Bill, it's a good thing that you've mentioned that because yes, <laughs> I believe this is my. I even crossed my leg now. Um, so yeah, it was. <laughs> this was my first time running it, and uh, I've never ran a campaign prior to that. Uh, that was pretty much yeah what you described. I I I don't know what else to add to that. That was a, a nice little introduction. What were you? What did you want to know? Well, um. I don't know if you knew this, but January is New GM Month, and fingers crossed, it might still be New GM Month when this episode airs. Oh. So I thought, given how quickly you took to running a game for somebody who hadn't ever done it before, I thought it might be kind of useful to talk about, like, well, I guess a cliche way to frame the question, to, to set us up for a bigger discussion, would be, uh, how, how'd, you, how'd you do that? How, how, how are you so good at your first whack at the whack at the ball uh i well i don't know it like see that's that's the thing it's all kind of relative to me i just kind of did uh a lot of like note taking and stuff based on games that i played with other people like i i was a part of uh like one shots every now and then i've been a part of a lot of games um well actually prior to that i'd only been character uh, player in two games and um, one of them ended horribly, unfortunately. Um, the DM had nothing to do with that. It was just a, a horrible mistake, and the we had to shut it down. Uh, but the other, uh, there's a that's a story I can't really go into, unfortunately, because it involves somebody else. But uh, then we had uh, a 
second game where I played with uh, Black Pants Legion in uh, Pablo's game, uh, where he was running Pathfinder, and I was just kind of editing in the background. They gave me a character because they wanted me to uh, record some of the sessions, so I was working on all this stuff in the background. I ended up becoming a character in the game, and I, I realized I really enjoyed this, so I did did a bunch of note-taking on how people played and DM'd and kind of threw it all together, and then I said, you know, I Tex was like, why don't you run a Star Trek game? And he got me this book, and then I ran the game. Surprisingly, it went really well. I, I was not expecting people to really enjoy Star Trek because it's something that, you know, it's one of those I mean, you guys know, it's like, it's, it's a sci-fi setting that most people, like, when you bring it up, they go, oh, jeez, I don't know nothing about that Star Trek, which is kind of where the name came from. A little bit, yeah, just a tiny bit, a little bit boring sometimes, Um, but it's okay. So the notes you were taking, is this stuff like, um, like things that other GMs did that you didn't want to do or you did want to do, or was it more stuff like... It was just ideas that popped into my head. So it'd be like, you know, I, I'd see something going on and I, it's not just GM stuff, but stuff I'd see on TV. And I'd also watch the original series and I was like, oh, they had like, you know, uh, these other spaceships that are going on in the background. And then I look at them and I go, what were they doing back there? Like, what's their job? And then I don't like, I know that there's like memory alpha and the memory beta, which is the fan stuff. And I just started looking it up and I'm like... There's not, like, a whole lot of information here. This is perfect. So I just started, like, coming up with random stuff that these things are doing. That's how I came up with the idea of the Estes being a ship hauler. Because I'm like, of course there would be. How many ships were destroyed in the original series? Probably a lot. So I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so I was like, that would be the perfect place to kind of start it. Because I was like, it's somewhere no one's really familiar with in Star Trek. And that's kind of where they went with, I guess, the lower decks. I mean, uh, it's, and I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> the less said about that, the better. We, I, I don't know if our IQs are high enough to really talk about that Oh, yeah, that our show. IQs aren't high enough for that. <laughs> yeah. fine. Uh, you see that guy who became a pickle in a transporter accent, though? That was, I think you'll find, the funniest shit <laughs> that I'd ever seen. Yeah, the, that's... I we we uh, teleported a Klingon into the engine, which uh, I was really surprised, but not really surprised by, considering the crew we had. Uh, and I I allowed it because I think part of the game is allowing it to be flexible. And if you watch the original series, there's a lot of shit that just goes on in there, and you just kind of have to go, yeah, that's that's kind of weird. Like that time Uhura lost all of her memory uh, to that machine, and then they were like, oh, we'll just retrain her from from scratch. We'll just retrain this lady's entire history from scratch. But they just go with, okay, spell cat, C, A. I remember that one. That was fucked up. <laughs> I was like, and then they don't resolve it. She's like, oh, yeah, but in two weeks she'll be college level. <laughs> and they all, like, credits roll, and I'm like, what the fuck? But they always do that. They always expect people to get over shit in, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. Just think about, think about every time that people have, like, you know, uh, uh, like memories of being, you know, in a time loop for 400 years or yeah. having to like murder someone in, in space simulated um, like replicant world or that time when they forcibly grafted that symbiont to what's her name and then they just called her a bitch and told her to get over it when she said she didn't like having all those memories flowing around her head. No, it, it, part, part of this setting is that um, Starfleet really doesn't care about your internal mental state. No, it's about the it's about the utopia that they built exactly, and I, and I I wanted to have a story that was just more of a world building fun exercise that we have with our friends because I think in terms of gameplay in tabletop, it's like we all as a team construct a story that we all put effort into. It isn't just from my experience; it's not from the GM's point of view. I, when I did all these episodes, I wrote notes. I didn't write full on plot descriptions and things like that. I I didn't have all these massive storylines kind of planned out. It was just like, this is an idea I got from friends or the time they went and 
They they had a pog tournament with the Klingons. Like it was just all completely like, how would I get them to do that? You know, and that's that's oh, that, that that's banned on Twitch now. Yeah, <laughs> I heard. Now, um, so uh, tell us about the game system that you use here, because my my guess is that um, we'll we'll put a link to the episode that we're referring to, but my guess is that uh, most listeners will not have seen it. So, um, what system are you using here? In this episode that we currently have linked that we are all clearly watching together, (laughs) uh, I am clearly watching this episode and I am using the 2D20 system, uh, which is a uh, proprietary system by Modifius. And it... Uh, if it's your first time DMing and you've never really played with uh, any tabletop systems, uh, Roll 2D20 is not an easy system I've found. I have found more problems with it and a lot of contradictory information. And I don't think that's the fault of any of me or the players because we'd all come together and try to figure this out. And it was just really difficult. I, I'd say if you're going to start out a game, any kind of game system, you have two really solid options. You have your D&D 5e, which is very open and it's expansive. There's a lot of lore written about it. And so there's a bajillion options to pick from and so many ways to play it. But then you also have Genesis, which is what I eventually ended up switching to because it's it's more of a narrative system and it allows you to kind of just have fun with your friends and do kind of like an almost like improv session, but you still have a structure and dice setting to it. So failure is still a great thing. And that's also one thing I really enjoy is failure is so much fun in these games because I find constantly in a lot of the things that I've played online outside of tabletop, a lot of people just kind of play to win. And it's, I, I like seeing the, you know, the fun and other things I can do in the game that it wasn't meant for. And I, I think I just kind of do that with everything now that I'm thinking about it. Man, make me self-reflect on here. So, you know, first of all, it's, we're going to lose our Modifius sponsorship here. But hello, Fantasy Flight sponsorship. Hell yeah. Uh, what are you talking about? Fantasy Flight fired the entire RPG team and they're not yeah. developing Genesis anymore. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Genesis is a ba- visually vaporware. Uh, look, I'm not saying anything negative against Modifius, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think they really edited this system's core book on its release. No, that, that's a common complaint because I've heard people say the same thing about the Conan game and the Infinity game. I I always felt because I because I liked I liked it as a player. Uh, maybe this is just me, but I don't like any system that requires me to manage an economy of points as a as a DM because or GM or whatever you ha- or what have you because uh, I'm just lazy and I prefer something that lets me do a lot of work up front and then not do that much work while I'm actually running the game. Whereas these types of of narrative systems that like have you know rules for different types of success and failure and ways that characters and players can influence the story they don't take that much prep but they are more demanding i find when you're actually running them yeah i i think uh roll d like 2d20 is a system that has like it makes sense to whoever made it but you have not communicated this to the rest of the people efficiently so i have to say it's it's it needs a lot more work and if modifius ever listens to any criticism on this that's that's all i'd ask because i like star trek adventures they did a great job designing what people do on ships they did a great job on the putting all the systems in and making it simple because prior to this all we had was fastest star trek and that's just math it's not fun there was uh there was fastest star trek and then there was star trek Discover, which my understanding is quite similar. Yeah. Oh. Ni- neither of those were very good. <laughs> and uh, there was GURPS Prime Directive, which I think got... Did they get pulled due to licensing issues? 
we're, we're, we might get a little into the weeds here, but um, when the rights for Starfleet Battles, the, the tabletop war game, were getting passed around, FASTA ended up with the rights to those, but nothing else. So I think I think Prime Directive is actually set in the legally distinct from Star Trek Starfleet Battles universe. Ah, yes. And where where uh, if anything ever leaves a Starfleet battle, it ceases to exist. Yeah. I'll I'll say this. I'm gonna take this in a direction that might be more relevant to our Delta Green yeah, listeners. Yeah. Just briefly, um, one thing that I do actually really like about the because I because I have read the um, rules for 2D20 Star Trek, and the thing that stuck with me from that was the the concept of the threat levels, where depending on how hardcore the players are behaving the NPCs will respond differently like shit like every time you go around and shoot someone with a phaser and kill them your threat level goes up and then because of that there are characters in the game like you know the the Klingons or the Jemadars or whatever who will carry da- more dangerous weapons as you unlock specific threat levels and that to me always spoke to how Delta Green has a bit of a problem where you always want to walk around with the most powerful weapon you can carry because you can get jumped by, you know, a mythos creature or whatever at any second and, you know, then you're not going to be able to talk you out of that. But one thing we've talked about before on the show is how if you have NPCs that don't immediately escalate and will do things like, you know, just try to intimidate you, beat you up chase you around but not just instantly kill you you unlock this whole world of possibilities that doesn't exist when everyone's rolling lethality you unlock the ability to tell stories like you know those old noir stories like in Maltese Falcon where everyone's constantly getting knocked out and kidnapped and no one ever shoots each other and there's more stuff that can happen then threat escalation and de-escalation is a thing that's kind of tricky about running games because yeah it's it's hard to really know when to do when to amp up the pressure when to take off the pressure and we have talked about that before and that is the thing that I also like about the 2D20 is that, that having that threat mechanic kind of almost holds the GM's hand in a way and allows them to do that kind of amp up or amp down. It's it's a lot of bookkeeping, but I kind of do appreciate having those sort of meta currencies as a toolbox to work with, you know, as a GM, rather than having to think on the fly. Right. What am I going to put here? What am I going to, how am I going to respond to that? It's it's like they they kind of just went and said I have the license for Star Trek, so we have to of course shoehorn our own system in there and figure out how to make this work. And I see what they were doing, but it seems kind of like hastily put together. And I I think that's like confusing. So if you're trying to start out with a perfect game system, I I wouldn't start with that system. Yeah, I wouldn't start with it either. And Genesis doesn't actually have Star Trek in it. I had to morph that into my own, and that was its own nightmare uh, because I don't know systems that well, so just trying to translate things and make it fair. I get why it's hard to write these things. I just wouldn't sell my own system to anybody knowing this information. You've just blown the mind of one person who's sitting on their couch listening to this podcast going, wait, you mean Star Trek and Star Wars aren't the same thing? Uh, they aren't. Unfortunately, they are not, because I think that would be cool to have TIE Fighters and the Constitution class in the same universe, but that's just me. Didn't we do... We did an after show about this, right? We, <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Uh, I think we did, yeah. But yeah, what? so so you wanted you wanted to know, like, what, what, like, how did I create Star Trek? How did I do all that? It was just literally, I took a couple of notes um, on things that I wanted to make sure we got done, because I want my games to be shorter when I'm online and longer if I'm in person. Unfortunately, because of the time of this recording, we're still in lockdown on a lot of stuff, and, you know... Yeah, this was the before times. This is the before time. yeah. Uh, in-person games, you can definitely take them and, and go a lot longer, like six hours, but if you're doing 
a six-hour game online, I find that it becomes very tiring, like very, very tiring, not just by me, oh, yeah. but just everyone playing. You could take breaks like out the Yazoo, but everybody's just tired because we already sit in front of our computers a lot. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Is you're sitting down, you're 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 keeping basically the same right. posture. You can't like get up and go grab a soda while your buddies are talking. Well, I mean, you can, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 like hard to disconnect. And I so I try to keep our games. And I the early games we kept going pretty long, but I I got better and better. And our current our last game's coming up this Saturday, and I try to keep it under two hours if I can. And that's that's a pretty tight game for a lot of people. But two hours, everyone has their most the most energy by then and by the two hours are over if you still feel like going on you know maybe you can go on for another 30 minutes but you, it, that limit allows you to be able to save up the energy for the next game because I find that by hour four or five people are like ready to tune out and they don't care what happens to their character at that point so fatigue is real and I know that everyone wants to play a game we've all kind of been tuned to do so because of the you know whole MMO generation and just everything we've been kind of pro program to do we, we're like fine with playing a game for eight hours but it's much different when you have other people and then you have to demand their attention and then as a dm make sure everyone's involved like not just having that one guy who sits in the game and doesn't do anything until you poke him like that that's tough to deal with for five hours you know what i mean yeah that's another thing we've frequently talked about on the show is is, is maintaining player engagement and that that is that is difficult so one thing i was going to ask you about that um you know have, having a good crop of players helps but i mean do you have any strategies to use to kind of make sure everybody's engaged uh mainly like you just kind of keep mental tra- i keep this is what i do i keep mental track of who I'm engaging with, how, like, I, I'm just going, like, you know, and then I, I just imagine what the other players are thinking as this engagement are going on, and then I look and see who's actually been doing anything, and that's when I start throwing curveballs in there, at that person in particular, and I don't try to throw spotlights on people, but I like to kind of edge them into the scene, or put some sort of action that goes on to them, because, you know, that little kind of wake-up call gets them engaged into the game, and I've learned, and I've constantly keep making this mistake but I keep learning is don't separate your players but Star Trek's one of those games where if you've watched the show people are separated all the time if everybody was in the same place all the time they would just win everything and the show would be like 20 minutes long um, so it's like we we had a lot of separate groups doing all kinds of separate things and I would just keep making them out like they were scenes in the television show and that worked out great now in D&D I don't see that working too well because it's not a TV show it's, it's a very much a uh, um, totally different like RPG adventure with you know full on stats and magic and all this crazy stuff that you have to keep track of and fortunately we have computers to do that for us uh, I know that back then you, you had to write everything down on this old ancient medium called paper I think or something like that I don't know I still write things on paper I, I can't too. actually run uh, I, yeah. modules and stuff <laughs> unless I have a piece of paper with the words on it in front of me I can't do PDFs I, I actually um, for all my character sheets and stuff I do PDFs but for all the notes I do as a DM all of it's on paper because I never know when I'm going to come up with an idea and I'm going to lose it if I don't write it down um, and you know sometimes you just see something you get inspired you write a little note out and then you just kind of expand on that note and just kind of make it work and if it doesn't work then you move on that's just kind of how I play if it doesn't work then I just move on I'm like alright well that blew up in my face oh well I guess I'm going to go do this other thing that I just came up with out of nowhere which is fine I, a lot of people respect that I feel um, if you're if you're able to kind of see where your 
it, things aren't working and then just cut it off because, you know, nobody wants to sit there for a slow burn if it's not going to have a good enough payoff. So one of the things I really like about, so I run a lot of Star Wars, have run a lot of Star Wars. I, I would probably say that Genesis is the best system I've ever used for anything. I mean, D&D &D is really a big soft spot in my heart, but Genesis Star Wars, you know, is, is ideal. Um, one of the reasons I really like it is that like everybody, I mean, everybody's seen Star Wars. At least people who are playing the Star Wars role-playing game have seen Star Wars. Yeah, of course. So they, they immediately understand that like you can like shoot a door control panel to shut it. You know, so if, you, if you're if you in a fight and you get an advantage, that's a really easy thing for someone's head to wrap around. Oh, I have like this extra bonus success I've gotten somehow. Why don't I close the door, you know, shut the blast door and stop the reinforcements? And I got to imagine Star Trek is the same way because everybody's seen Star Trek. Everybody knows that, like, if you need something to go wrong, you have a power fluctuation or, the, you know, the console explodes and sparks. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's so generic. So I got to imagine you have the same kind of easy set pieces in Star Wars. Star Trek, rather. Yeah, in Star Trek, you have a lot of easy set pieces to work with. But in terms of like how it, if you were to like make a comparison between Star Trek and Star Wars in terms of game systems, it's like apples and oranges. But if you really want to break it down, like they're not really that different. Like you can really go and do anything in Star Trek. There's a lot of written lore, but fuck that lore. You don't have to do that shit. That shit, no. Fuck that. Because listen, even the writers don't care about the lore. No, nobody cares about the lore except the people who are like lore guardians, and that's fine. They they're the ones that go to the convention and spend millions of dollars on stuff. Like that's fine. If you like it that much, you go do you. But don't attack other people because they want to go, well, I want to rewrite the Omega Particle. Because, yeah, the, like, what is that? That's just weird. I, I was like, I want to explore that more. I don't care if they have to go back to 1960s Cleveland or whatever. I just want to mix. I, you go out there and you make your own fun with the setting that you have. And that's, I feel, is the tabletop experience in a nutshell. But there's always that, like... Uh, uncomfortableness, especially if you're new to everything, especially with Star Trek, is just worrying that you might be alienating them a bit with Star Trek. But I, uh, you know, fuck it, just let them let them wiggle around in it and see how they feel. And if they don't like it, they'll tell you. You just need to have players that'll tell you they don't like it. If you don't, then it's going to be really hard to play anything. Uh, you know, ask for feedback at the end. That's what I did every single night. I still do that. Because I want to know what worked and what didn't. Even after my very final game, which is coming up, I want to make sure that I know that I like if I'm going to play in more games, which I am, I would like to know what my problem areas are. And I'm also taking my own personal notes on that because I don't want to keep repeating mistakes over and over again, not realizing I'm making them. Do you find that you get reasonable feedback or is sometimes feedback just like a salty player? Oh yeah, I get a lot of well, we, I get a lot of good feedback, especially in the first few games, because everyone was super helpful. Because um, I knew I was a new GM, and they were all willing to assist me in that. And I think if you ha are a new GM and you're about to play with people who I've either never played before or have played before, still just say I'm new to this, so help me, or not, don't demand that they help you, but just say if I make a mistake or whatever, I'm sorry. If just help me out here, if there's something going on that you're not understanding. You know, communication is, like, that's always said in everything. I think pretty much since, what, Reader's Digest and all the how to communicate with your relationships and stuff. And it's just like communication is key, but it's like we have to keep repeating that over and over again because I think it's kind of become a cliche, but it truly is true. It's like you, you got to communicate with your players about how you're feeling and, more importantly, how they feel as well because that's going to shape the games to come and also those experiences that you have oh and you know what else yeah is if you say to your group hey i'm new at this i might need your help and they say no 
then you know not to play with those guys. Uh, yeah, and you just don't play with them. And you'll find people. You just If you really want to play a game and you have one already set in mind, you will find people if you really look for them. And I know this because I have played a lot of things that have nothing to do with tabletop, but were fully role-playing, especially in MMOs. I, w- I was a huge MMO role-player, and I have seen some crazy shit. So you will find somebody if you really want to run your game. That's one of the benefits of us all being driven fully online due to the coronavirus is everybody's here. You may not find a group of people to play your weird, you know, Star Trek Genesis conglomeration at your local game store, but online you can definitely find four or five people who want to check it out. Yeah, I, I'm not a big Reddit guy, but I, I will say if you need to find people, Reddit's a good place to start for that. Um, they can lead you to some discords that can definitely get you in on games and, you know, just asking around in general. The thing that I was told about your show and uh, by, by Will is that it was really good and the reason that it was really good is that uh, it was about being good at improv. Yeah. And my knowledge of improv it comes entirely from a television show called Barry and I don't have any knowledge, any real actual knowledge of it. So uh, you should tell us what some things that you've been able to... Uh, let's, let's try this again. What... Uh, what would you say are the, the lessons that you have to teach us about that? Because uh, the one that I've always got from like any kind of acting thing is um, that you should not be afraid that your, your shit's lame or that it's cringe or whatever, because that will stop you from creating things, that you should just do whatever you want. No, fuck that. If your shit's cringe, everyone's going to let you know right away. So go ahead and be cringy as shit. But don't be afraid to try to be cringy. Just understand that if nobody likes it, then nobody likes it. And that's okay. You'll find your group. But I'm just going to say this, like, first of, all, first of all, man, fucking watch my show. How dare you bring this shit up? You ain't even going to fucking watch my show. We're <laughs> here like, I, I, about the show I, I was told about. Dude, go fucking click a link. Goddamn. It's like fucking YouTube. <laughs> nah, fuck you. No. It's like three hours long. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. Uh, <laughs> so so, so I, I'll tell you what happened. I was, I had, I had the tab open yeah. and then, uh. I like stopped it because I was gonna um, stream some New Vegas because for some reason I thought that was a good idea, and I forgot that opening that game is like firing a nuclear missile directly into the kernel of your computer, and I had to hard reset because it wouldn't it wouldn't like close, and then I lost all my tabs and forgot about it until today. New, New Vegas, you said? Yes, the ancient uh, computer RPG. It's it's not very well optimized. I yeah, I was gonna say it's not very well optimized. So don't don't feel discouraged. That was a fantastic game. But anyway, aside from that, uh, improv. Um, so I, I spent the better part of a decade, uh, in it, it first started out in college and then I just ended up staying working in college, uh, as a, uh, film, uh, a person who helps film these acting for the camera classes. And it was like, you know, actors would come in and they would just like, well, actors, I mean, like students would come in to learn about how to act in front of a camera and it usually be business people, um, people who are actually interested in getting into TV, or it would just be somebody, some nurse who just needed an extra credit on their, you know, curriculum because that's how the broken school system works. So they just needed that. And so they would all come in and they would just, it'd be a whole different mess of people. And improv is incredibly important. Aside from just the acting exercises and learning how to speak, being able to say yes and is very important. And I've heard that before from a couple of my friends, which made me really happy to hear. But learning how to say no in improv is also just as important, but not like literally saying no by bending whatever corner that they're trying to put you into. And that, there's, a, there's a bunch of fun improv games that is very similar to tabletop where you're given a scene and then it's like the scene just continuously keeps changing 
and everybody in the scene has a goal, but nobody knows what that goal is. The idea is to get them to do that goal first before anyone else, and you win. So everyone's trying to do the, their goals. Everyone knows that they got it. You can kind of guess what it is based on how hard they're turning, and it really gives you an idea on how to like really uh, play characters and be different from yourself and step outside yourself. And so by watching people do this and also having to jump in because we had small class sizes a lot, I, I was there every single Friday, every Friday. And it was just like, I, I learned a lot from those people, their, their inexperience to then translate it into my experience. I learned a lot from that teacher who understood the nature of how difficult it is to be that person in a corner and come out and then start doing these crazy characters. Because it's just, at the end of the day, it's really just for fun of the scene and your friends and all that other stuff. You've just got to learn how to like say yes. And someone throws a curveball at you. The Klingon comes at you with a knife and stabs you. Yes. And I roll the hell out of the way. Like, you just come up with something <laughs> like that. You don't, you try not to go, no, I dodged to the left. And because I stat block says I could do that. It's like, no, be very, if you're very fluid and creative with the way you say no, without actually saying no, you can actually make a scene turn to your favor if that's your cause. But improv is really important on that. Um, I, there's a lot of exercises out there you guys can look at. Um, I'm, I'm not going to link anything specifically. Like, this has been a, what, it's been like, what, a couple hundred years worth of information on how improv and acting works. It, it's not necessary to run a tabletop game, but learning just the cornerstones of improv will help you, especially as a DM, um, come up with characters on the fly. Because sometimes they're going to ask you a question or ask for a what that character's name is, and you're just going to have to come up with a character on the fly and it is never easy, even if you're like an improv master. Just coming up with something and going yes with it is the best way to approach that, at least from my perspective. Well, I think, you know, yes and or no but are two of the hardest lessons I find for a new Genesis uh, GM to learn, because that's really what the whole crux of that system lets you do. I mean, I guess our opportunities in general, but specifically Genesis, you have a huge leg up being able to kind of roll with that kind of thing and, you know, kind of react off what players do. Exactly. I mean, you never know when your player is going to ask you, like, uh, like, what's that lady's name? And then you have to come up with Melissa's name and then figure out her backstory in five seconds because you didn't prepare that. You can also, if you're not that good at stuff like that, the be the other option is I, I feel like you could just uh, throw in like, oh, before you could ask that question, she walks off to the back room and uh, you can hear dishes being washed. So you're like, do you really want to follow that? Like you give them hints as a DM without saying she's not important. Uh, was it Deputy was really good at that with Delta Green, where we were really trying to grill this lady who had nothing to do with it, but for some reason, we all believe she did, and he was trying his best as a <laughs> GM to say, we are, this is not an important character. She has nothing to do with it. And then he had to just make her important because we wouldn't leave her alone because we were all, as players, convinced this lady had something to do with it. He was doing everything. He, Other than him saying this lady is not important, he has done everything he could. We were just like, I know she has something to do with it. Let me double-check her background. And I started, like, interrogating her because I'm, like, this rough guy. And he's, she's just freaking out. And he's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so it's like you have... You have moments where players are going to try to go down rabbit holes you're not going to expect. So figuring out how to run with that or just put the curtain back over that rabbit hole and be like, no, 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 this way. This is not that's the incomplete construction happening back there. You know, you, you figure out your own path in that. And, you know, 
I, I think you can figure it out from the first group. Um, and also, I, I, I know this has nothing to do with improv, but I have to say it. Like, get the battle system down where you guys don't have to sit there for, like, five minutes on one person to do one action. If you could do that, your games are going to run smooth as hell. Like, improv or not. Like, if you can get battle systems down and it takes, like, less than, like, what, a minute for somebody to do a move, you're going to have a smooth game from them on out. Because the hardest part of tabletop I've found as a new GM is battle systems in general are very clunky and math-oriented, and there's a lot of options and choices and all this other stuff. It, it, it's it's like I start cutting the fat out of that because I'm like, no, 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 because I want to get to the game. I don't want to do... Uh, like I'm not here to play a computer game. I, I want to get here and just do the thing. And if it's like, oh, they want to cast fireball into this room or whatever, oh, we have to figure out the geometry of the blight. I'm like, no, nah, I'm just gonna say fuck it. You blew that room up. Now you're now you're a war criminal. What are you gonna do? No, I'm not. I- <laughs> How can there be war crimes if there wasn't a war? <laughs> That's true. That's very true. But yeah, it's sometimes you just gotta go. You know, you look at how long it's going to take to do something, and then just make a snap decision on stuff. Even if it doesn't seem like that it would be falling into the rules, I don't really have a lot of fun with the rules lawyers. And I mean, yeah, I'll just... How do you get along with Will? <laughs> I, a, well, I haven't played a game with Will yet. Um, oh, that's fair. Someday. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by this mention, though, of, of, um, of Delta Green earlier, because Delta Green is a game that, in its design philosophy, is not necessarily diametrically opposed to all the stuff you're talking about but is is much more difficult to bring in this element of, you know, let the players direct the action yeah. and reward people for for leaning in because so much of Delta Green is about like pu- not necessarily punishing the players but definitely punishing the characters. True. Uh it it's very much like that and I I find the most fun in that. Um I when my character died, I remember the reaction deputy had uh because he said like, "Oh yeah, your character gets I think I I got stepped on by some kind of horrible void creature thing." And uh he was just like uh he was like, and yeah, there was no way you were going to survive that. And I was like, well, why? And he was just, or I'm sorry, I said, well, how? And he was like, well, here's the numbers. I was like, no, no, no. How did my character, I want to hear the description. And he got like immediately lit up and he was like, oh yes, the big giant uh, tentacle came down from above. And as you're firing your 92 FS, you look up and realize, oh shit, as it comes crushing down and the bones underneath it makes a sickening crunch on the void floor. And it's just like, beautiful description i can't do it justice and i was like that's what i was looking for and i feel like that is something that's also really important too because aside from the math if your character dies and you feel like it's bullshit just roll with it and make another character man i that's how i feel not everyone's gonna agree with that but just like whatever it's like cool i can make another one i mean if you're really that invested in your character's story i think that's going a little too far because at some point your character will it has a very high chance of getting murdered in delta green if anything it's more than likely going to happen anyway because that's the nature of the game eventually you die or go insane right i mean i hate that about delta green <laughs> but, you know, yes am i wrong yeah. i mean that's like the that's no no i stopped playing the game i only run it now <laughs> fair enough like like i recognize that I, I legit just was not having fun as a player why because i because and then i was like you know what if i'm not gonna if i'm not gonna accept the basic premise of the game it's not fair of me to to inflict myself on the, pe- the people trying to run it yeah so no that's i'll just i'll just i'll run the game from now on yeah and, and I, I was thinking i was thinking about that because um there are games that i'll run but not play and there's games that i'll play but not run and i think that your earlier discussion the game that i will uh play but not run is the Star Wars RPG. When I when I when I was playing it, I was I was like, okay, it's cool as a narrative system. And then I got to look at like the feat list and the gear list and all this like very 
3.5 style mechanical complexity. I was like, I really do not want to deal with this as a GM ever. No, dude. Yeah, I completely understand. And that was very mature of you to decide to do that because I, I would hate to have somebody try to force them to play the game that they want to play when it's your game running it. So I get that's that's nice, man. I'm glad that you did that. Well, well, I mean, I basically am lucky that I, I rather than doing a consistent group, I just have an open table of people that genuinely do like playing. Yeah. So I can kind of cherry pick if I want if I want to run a game and I uh, no 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 one's ever like, oh, I can't run Delta Green because Mel and Brad doesn't want to play it because uh, they got a whole they got a whole uh, a whole Discord server full of them. Yeah, you got Discords for pretty much every game. So yeah, run your own, man. Here, here, here's a here's a question that I I, I had for you uh, earlier. Yeah. I, I was curious when I in the part of the show that I did watch, you kept talking about you know all this stuff that happened in the previous session. But my understanding is that because I asked about this, uh, previous session was not recorded. Uh, as someone who does a, a show for the internet. Do you find that the players behave differently when they know that they are being recorded and broadcast? Um, other than just uh, the typical kind of editing stuff that you would probably do for stuff they don't want to have doxed on the internet. No, I mean these they're pretty much the same. Like, I mean, if anybody knows Tex of the Black Pants Legion, he's exactly the same person on the internet and in real life. He does not really have that much of a change in his persona, uh, live or otherwise. And it's the same for pretty much everybody. I think the first session, they were all kind of like weirded out by the stream, but they all got comfortable with it. Uh, mainly because it was just like, now because the, the, the courtesy flush is a hangout and it's like people who come to watch it it's like it's we're not trying to sell them anything we're just kind of like hanging out like we talk shit to the chat as well and they talk shit back and it's great like that's the kind of community that i really enjoy about the black pants legion and i'm just like this is this is the kind of thing that i really wanted to do and i think we knocked it out of the park honestly even though we're not very good at like a lot of games that we play or you know tabletop, we don't follow all the rules. I, as long as we have so much fun on that, and that's that's all I could really ask for. Um, so you said, um, what what was your question? You said you you were wondering about in the earlier sessions if they had any kind of like. No, I was just wondering if people behave differently when they're being recorded versus not. No, they just don't say things that might dox them in real life because, you know, we all have real jobs and you you don't want that kind of thing on the internet. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just keeping themselves from being doxed. Other than that, they're all just the same exact people offline and online. I'm curious. Obviously, you've played in games as well. So do you, does your does your improv sage advice differ for players? As in, like, how to be a good player at RPG or is it... I, well, I wouldn't call it sage advice. I am not some kind of teacher who can give like advice. I, I don't have like that kind of like I'll give you I'll give you my personal view on things. Run with it how you will. That is I'm always going to try to present it as advice, but I'm also going to put the disclaimer out there that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. No one knows what they're doing. Nobody does. No, I'm not an expert on anything other than maybe Crazy Taxi. I will fight anybody in that game. But outside of that, <laughs> um yeah, I I'd say improv is a good tool to have, but it isn't a necessary thing to use in the game. It's not necessary to have improv, but it's good to learn some of the rules because it could come in handy. Your toolbox is often sparse when you're a GM at first, at least from my perspective as a new GM. It's like, I don't know what to fucking put in there and do with... I get advice from a bajillion people on how to do a ton of different things. And there's even like uh, some of the best advice I've, I've uh, actually had a chance to uh, listen through is uh, Mr. Welch's Mad Musings. I mean, he's just a well of knowledge. I, I was really surprised by just how frank he was about pretty much everything. And I, I, 
I attribute a lot of that to him and also just listening to um, Mr. Tex and then Pablo and also Michael, uh, the, uh, who is a friend of mine, who he uh, did a uh, D&D 5e game and just watching him kind of do the game his own way. And I, I started thinking like, oh, what would I do if I did it my way? And so if you're going to be a new GM, try playing a player first and see what it what that system would be like under somebody else then go oh i know how i'll run this is a good way to do it then you don't have to like try to focus too much on improv and you can kind of figure out your own way but improv is a great tool to have right i mean hello sometimes we have these pregnant pauses where we just try and decide where the next uh yeah, you can't see faces, so I'm just sort of sitting here like, cool, I hope it didn't disconnect. Everyone's yeah. just like fucking quiet out of nowhere. <laughs> I like this format, but it helps to be able to see people, um, and especially with these like long pauses. I'm like, yeah. it, like I'm used to people talking and being very like, you know, kind of in on the... And I'm not used to people just sitting back in the chair with their pipes and, you know by their fireside and i'm just imagining all of you guys with like big game hunting and shit <laughs> on your walls and I've, I've got i've got a painting of haster behind me that my sister old english drew. books i very deliberately did not pour myself anything for this because i didn't want to have to get up to piss three times during the recording <laughs> <laughs> i understand i'm uh yeah like 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 i probably couldn't do your uh, twitch stream video gming thing because i'd 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 inevitably have to be like all right guys give me give me two minutes Oh, can I give me two minutes again? Oh, I have no problem getting up. I mean, it's just like, it, honestly, it's it's like knowing uh, how to uh, just kind of excuse yourself out of things and I just say like, hey, I got to go do a thing. Let's take like a five seconds and then you talk some shit to the chat. And I did that even when no one was watching us because I, I just found that to be hilarious to me. So it, it just stuff like that that I, I, I will do to get out of things, to go to the bathroom, whatever. But um. Yeah, if you if you have to get up a lot during a stream, man, that's fine. It's, people don't give a shit. I mean, it's just like, it's human nature. And if people do, then you could tell them where they can go. They can go watch whatever the hell. We also mentioned back uh, when we were talking about Star Trek, how one of the benefits of that game is that players are already kind of expecting it to be like a TV show. You could tactically include piss breaks to give yourself like a commercial break, structure it like a TV ah, show. Ah, I like that. I like that idea, man. Just like having a like a break time like it's like dun dun dun, dun. <laughs> then you just like leave well and you're doing it on twitch so you could have like a soundboard and stuff i do you, know, you do all he, sorts he of does things have a soundboard. i do yeah i i already salvaged that i haven't watched it so i don't know <laughs> these I, when, I, when i was watching the the thing i thought that the flushing sound effect was like you trying to signal to the players it's whose line it is in, is it anyways style that they needed to stop whatever bit they were doing and go to the next one no 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 that's just their notification for this, the uh, sub sound and that's for the uh, people following or giving Bezos money. Uh, every time someone gives money on that thing, I'm like, cool, Jeff Bezos is going to love that. Because, I, I mean, I want to get into a discussion. You could stream on another platform. <laughs> we could. I mean, I, we do. We stream I mean, on both. Could, could he? Didn't didn't Mixer like just close its doors because it was completely and totally unprofitable? Oh, I don't know. I don't stream No, shit. no. I, I do both on uh, Twitch and YouTube because YouTube archives all the videos forever. So I don't have to worry about that. But yeah, it's it's like if you have to get up and go to the bathroom, man, like you just, even if no one's watching, just but say my, it. My understanding is that is that Twitch is much less fascist about copyrighted sounds and music than YouTube is? Um, currently, they are working on uh, changing that completely, but it's not that bad. And also, YouTube uh, used to be like you, you would play a song and it would just mute your old video. Because in the early days of Twitch, I remember when we did Demon Souls, the original on PS3, we were just playing it before the offline online servers went off. And 
I remember we we started playing DMX, gonna give it to you, just out of like just as a joke. Um, and it was like, oh, we gotta pump ourselves up for this next fight, and he didn't know I was gonna do it, so I just started playing. And he was just like, oh wow. And then uh, I go back to watch the video, and it's like ten minutes of silence because they cut it out in Twitch. I was like, oh, uh, okay, all right, well, I guess I can't play DMX. A lot of the games that get released now will have a streamer mode that just removes all the music. Yeah. If if it's anything that's that's owned by someone who's litigious, and it's kind of a shame because as a developer, you want people to put your best foot forward. Like you want if you if someone's streaming your game, you know, you want it to look and sound good, but. Uh, you also don't want them to just not stream it because they're going to get DMCA'd. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, this is going. This is going to get off the rails if we go down this rabbit hole because I have a lot yeah, to say yeah, about I that. I, I have a lot to say about rights management. But aside from that, uh, any any other questions about tabletop that you wanted to ask uh, about my experiences or anything? I got one last one. Okay, yeah. Having had kind of what I would describe as a um, a, a rowdy group of players, uh, that's a thing that throws a lot of new GMs as having to deal with curveballs do you do you have any specific strategies for when your players do something completely unexpected that you're you're thinking like oh god this is gonna ruin the whole thing i yeah i just don't have a, a like a like I, I have a goal to what i want to reach but that goal post can move its peg over left or right it doesn't really matter to me it's like if they do something that's like horrible and like i take the big bad guy and i transport him into the engine i'm like cool that's i'm like i'm like all right let's see how this plays out like if they fuck it up, I can come up with some even more fucked up way to mess with them. You know what I mean? So it's like, you just let them kind of do their thing. And then eventually they will try to do something that works instead of it just being the first thing I do is shoot them in the face. Because if you have a bunch of people going around shooting everyone in the face, it's 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 going to end up going bad. You figure out how that, that curve hits them. You got to figure out, like, you're like, okay, I see where y'all going. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Keep murdering everyone in town. See what happens. And you just give out those little vague threats. It's a lot of fun. You just go like, oh, yeah, that won't get you guys in trouble. Let's roll for that. You just say shit like that and just see what happens. <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, make them make them double guess what like what they're about to do. You're like, oh, you want to actually use the transporter, a very reliable way to transport people across many distances. <laughs> you, you know those those three words that make every player pause is are you sure are you sure or i yeah deputy said that a lot i i uh <laughs> I, I told him to do that yes that was perfect <laughs> no i i actually say it a lot too are you sure are you sure because it's even if it's not dangerous it's like you know you know final answer you know you want them to make the best answer that they can give uh that won't just straight up murderate them but if you do have to kill your players, come up with a really cool-ass death for them. Because even if the player feels salty about it, they'll have a great story that they can say how their character died. Or they can call you a dick, and then you never invite them back to your game, which is fair, you know? That's the, yeah, hey, fair enough, you know? More pizza for me. Yeah. Oh, you're still here. 
I didn't think anybody listened after the outro. Well, since you're here, check back on Saturday for a special off-cycle Greenbox episode with another special guest.